Now, I'm Wilco Johnson, and today I'm talking to John Robb, who is uh, one of our eminent uh, music journalists and critics ever since his time in the 70s with sounds. Uh, and uh, now you can read him in uh, the Sunday Times, The Guardian, The Observer, many, and, he, and uh, you'll see him as a, a, a pundit on uh, when you get these... Uh, rock and roll programs on the telly will pop up and be a pundit. And uh, indeed, he it was who coined the term Britpop, and he was the first journalist to interview Nirvana in uh, 1988, I believe. And uh, unusually for a journalist and critic and that, he's also had a, a, a long and successful career as a musician, uh, starting in the 70s with his band uh, Membrane. Now then, John, tell me, how did you get into music? Well, this, this is, uh, I guess, in, in, in all that weird confluence of exciting things that's going on in the 70s with glam rock, you were actually part of the process, weirdly. I, I suppose you've got to find this quite a lot on the podcast, aren't you, that... There was a for, for me when I was about probably about eleven in nineteen seventy two. It was it was all that stuff on top of the pops. It was it was Mark Bolan, Bowie. But I liked all the other glam bands that aren't considered to be as trendy, like Slade um, and Mott the Hooper. I totally adored Mott the Hooper. I think they're a fantastic group. And then we get to the mid seventies when that started fading. Then we started hearing about what you were up to uh, and that the great precursor of punk, you know. And I think. In, in a, I know this is this interview's the other way around today, but I think I think uh, I think what you were doing there at that point of time was really revolutionary, and, and, and it wasn't as couched as well as say the Sex Pistols were as the media thing. But I think without Doctor Feelgood, the whole thing wouldn't have happened. And even to this day, I still have my Telecaster. Look at the state of that. Oh, <laughs> it's the only guitar. It's, it's a fantastic guitar because it's it's like a machine gun. And who invented oh. playing a Telecaster like a machine gun, eh? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, the Telecaster is a, is a thing of beauty. I mean, it's it's just a plank of wood, but you're right. It's a, it's a gun. And yeah. It's a the, the fact that it's just a plank of wood is what's so great about it. It's, it's got two controls on it. It's, it's either a treble or bass or it's loud or quiet. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's absolutely bog standard that's what i love about it. i mean that like uh the, the shape of the telecaster it's like you can see it should have been sawn out of a plank of wood you know not like <laughs> the, the stratocaster which is actually a another beautiful guitar actually but they're, they're all contoured and yeah um, it's, it's you know <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at my one across the room and that you know you think hey, it's all contoured but the tele is like a plank it is isn't it? and it, it sounds yeah. like a plank when it's in the right yeah. hands yeah. 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 When you, and, when, and all the stuff that I loved in punk rock, and a lot of it came out that way. The way you were playing guitar was transferred into so many bands. You could you could see it with Joe Strummer, you could see it with the Stranglers, and it was all definitely all related to what you were doing. And that was a really important part of our youth, and to this day, that's always something 
that you refer back to because you, you know with music it wanders a bit you know you, you can you can wander down so many different rabbit holes you can go down the free jazz rabbit hole the classical rabbit hole and it's all great music but every now and then you have to sort of scour your mind and go back to the the basics and back to where it all started and what better way of doing it is playing one of those wonderful records that you create this and it's all still seeing you seeing you play live now which was only a few years, two or three years ago before we went into this really weird period you know, something something that's deceptively simple but so effective is still really thrilling. Yeah, I think that's always the, like the I don't know the basis of what I've always done has been been uh, that simplicity and mm. uh, I don't know because I learned because I learned to play the guitar by trying to copy Mick Green from Johnny Kidd and the Pirates and it's just such a wonderful kind of spare way of playing you know with you know with gaps <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah i mean i mean obviously he had that great guitar style but i actually prefer the pirates uh before johnny green you know like shaking all over he wasn't on shaking all over was he which is uh no no, no. family enough he 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 wasn't that, that that shaking all over i don't know it was late 50s wasn't it i mean i can actually remember when this was uh, <laughs> Yeah, that was slight, just then, before my time. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Green Greeny joined later in the sixties, but it, it was it was his. I mean, the first time I the first time I heard Mick Green, right? I'm, I I don't know when it would be nineteen sixty three four. I don't know. I'm I'm um, during the Merseybeat era, mm. <laughs> and I'm and uh, there was this program on the radio on Saturday, it's called Saturday Club. And uh, it, it was more or less the only place you could actually hear pop music, you know, because there weren't commercial stations then, just just the BBC. And anyway, this Saturday Club, it used to be about an hour or so at midday with uh, Brian Matthew. And I'm, anyway, I'm walking across the living room at home and it, Brian Matthew goes... This is Johnny Kidd and the Pirates. And this thing, song started, and it, the song was actually I'll Never Get Over You, which became a hit for them. But I, I just I heard the, the, guitar, the guitar start, and then the guitar, it, it just, I can remember almost freezing in my tracks and thinking, <laughs> like, that's what I want to do. You know, I was just starting to learn to play then, and I thought, and I, I tried and I tried to copy Greeny. And, but that was that was that whole thing that that simplicity. Um, uh, you you took it to the next degree because it's like, I mean, he was brilliant and he was a great engine room guitar player. But what I really loved about what, what the way you play guitar is, it is it is stripped down to a simplicity, but it's also complexity. The rhythms are so natural and so complex, you can't copy them. You know, it's, you you can't play like Wilco. You know. And also that amazing zigzagging energy across the stage is so captivating. Yes, I got. I remember what. Perhaps there were two elements of uh, my style. There was that moment of revelation of hearing Mick Green, and, and that, that was what I wanted to do. And also, uh, I don't know. Around that time, um, there used to be this. Uh, there was this club in uh, South End called the Studio Club and they used to get uh, rhythm and blues acts down from uh, down from London you know Georgie Fame and people I mean I think John Lee Hooker played there and 
stuff. But anyway, we, uh, my little band, we would sometimes get support slots there. And uh, one, one of the bands that used to play there quite often was a band called uh, Cops and Robbers. And uh, I remember I'm a, I'm a sort of like beardless boy standing there after we've played our set and that, and watching the, watching the Cops and Robbers. And, and I'm thinking... I'm looking at the, the, the kind of leader was a, was a he, he, he sung and played the guitar. And I remember, look, I was looking at him and I was thinking, man, I can play better than him. Right? <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then suddenly he, he, he come to a guitar solo and he looked so furious. He, he was like staring, you know, looking at him, I went, wow. You know, and I thought, <laughs> yes, do that as well. Yeah. So it's a mixture of those two things. That <laughs> my style of these last fifty years has been based on that level of intensity. I, actually, I, I remember in about nineteen eighty, when I was a kid, I went to London, and I was on a tube. I was on a platform of tube, and you got off the tube, and the door opened, and you walked off the tube like you played the guitar. And I remember you kind of really manic stare, zigzagging down the platform on the other side, and me and my mates going. Fucking hell, he's just the same in real life as he's on stage. <laughs> that re that really impressed us as well, you know. The, the, the another interesting thing is at World Cup, we both come from seaside towns. I'm actually from Blackpool, and you're from South End, and it's 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 a weird it's the weird. I, I, I think there is something quite rock and roll about seaside towns. Mm, the you neons know. and the the faded grandeur. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely the faded. <laughs> No, it, 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 yes, it, 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 South End. Uh, it's always had a, a, a kind of fairly tacky seafront, you know, amusement arcades, and they built up some horrible Lego plastic rides. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Bit, I don't know. Yeah, there's something funky about it. Did you always have that? Down the end of the yeah. high street, you've got the Curzel. Uh, dance on a bit of a big gig, right? Where, where we, in fact, recorded our biggest ever album, uh, and uh, we're trying to we're trying to save that at the moment. I think they want to get rid of it. You know, so generally, you, know, you get beautiful buildings in South End. Uh, they tend to uh, remove yeah. them. You know, they, happened, yeah, happened a lot of seaside towns. I mean. One, yes. one lucky thing about Blackpool was that they, nobody spent any money on it in the 60s and 70s. They didn't, they didn't even spend the money on knocking down the old buildings. So we still have a few of them left, like the Winter Gardens, which is the most amazing place, and the Empress Ballroom, which is an incredible venue. I don't know yes. if you ever played there. It's just like this really ornate 3,000-capacity ballroom. Oh, I know. yes, yes, I know the place. Where George Former used to play in the uh, 40s and 50s when he was the biggest star in Britain. Because Blackpool's yeah. a showbiz town. That's where everybody, Frank Sinatra would do Paris, London, Blackpool and go back to New York. You know, it's <laughs> we, we were the showbiz town, but that was just before my time. So when I started going yeah. out, everything was boarded up and it was all over by the 70s. Yes, yeah, so I remember, say, maybe during my childhood, which was mostly in the 50s and that. I mean, Blackpool was still, that was the result, wasn't it? The, mm. The whole of the north used to turn out there in, in the summer in their and, Sunday best when you yeah. see the films getting off the train yeah. everyone's yeah. suited and booted but now it's all shell suits and when I look at it it's like they're all going to church in the 90s 20s and 30s it looks amazing yes, yes. well the, yeah, same, um, the same thing you see old pictures of uh, 
can be Ireland. And uh, of, of the, the, the sort of car park is full of, of black Austin 7s and, and, and yeah. you know, like just loads of them. And when I was a kid, the Canvey Island then was, was um, it was connected to the mainland by this little bridge that used to open. It was a, a sliding open bridge, right? Oh, and I love you, those. Yeah, yeah. If you, were, if you were coming along in a, in a, in a boat, <laughs> the thing is that the, the, the waterway was there before the roadway, so you've got right of way. On the on the the, the, the boat. So if you want to come by with your boat, they have to open this bridge, right? And it grind it grinds open, the gates come down and that. And 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 of course in the summertime, the, the traffic backs up. You know, people are doing the sail through the bridge. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and yeah, yeah. so it's backing back for miles right across the island. And uh all these black cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. When we were kids, we used to, we used to walk along the, the, the traffic jam, <laughs> counting and going, 1,001, 1,002. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, where was I? I was back on Canvey Island in the 50s. <laughs> I mean, did you, well, you know, in a seaside town, we always had this thing where you always felt like it was one thing, you're end of the line, there's nowhere else to go. And you're always on the outside looking in. So in Blackpool, we're always looking into Manchester. Was mm. that like that when you were growing up in a South End, like London? You know, you're sort of looking into London, the bright lights. Well, I mean, see, actually, I, I grew up on Canvey Island, which, I mean, in those days, it's, it's a kind of island right in the mouth of the Thames. And uh, it, it was... Uh, in those days, it was kind of the bad end of town. I mean, when I, I went to the grammar school when I was uh, 11, you have to go up on the mainland, right, for to the grammar school, because I didn't have such things on Canvey Island. Canvey Island was really kind of the, the bad part of town. It was just like a, yeah. oil, oil wells and oil uh, tanks and uh, people living in caravans and, and unmade roads and stuff like that, you know. And that was that. that and... and on the other end of South End, the other bad end was like Shoebury, which was the uh, the army barracks. Yeah, they used to f test the guns. You could in the sometime and boom, firing <laughs> yeah. them out over the estuary. So um, we were cut off from South End, let alone being. Cut off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I guess when I, mean, I I was actually about four miles from Blackpool, so the sense. I get that you you were cut off from the town that was cut off from the other town, so it, yeah. you did feel like the end of the road. And but did you find going you go down to the prom, look at the sea? It's really captivating, isn't it? So on one level, you got just like a normal town. You turn around the corner, you just got this black sort of massive water and howling wind and everything, and it does go into your DNA, doesn't it? I, I miss that yeah. living inland. I live in Manchester now. I, yeah. I, I kind of miss that, you know the. Uh, the, the sort of the endless kind of vacuum of the sea or something, but you're still on the seaside. You never, you, you went to London for a bit, but you never really left, did you? No. Um, I mean, I think, I think I have to, well, I mean, I have to say now I'm bloody 73, you know, <laughs> so I think, you know, I kind of, I, I do, I love the Thames estuary. I do. I honestly think it's one of the beautiful landscapes of the world. 
And I mean, I've seen the Lake District and I've seen Louisiana and I've seen the Himalaya, you know, but I don't know, there's something about the estuary that, that's beautiful and Canvey Island is literally in it, right? This is, Canvey Island is actually uh, b- below sea level, high water, mm. right? And, it, and it's surrounded by, by a sea wall that keep, keeps, the, uh, keeps the river out. You know, it, yeah. it, there was <laughs> yeah. a terrible disaster in 1953 which is uh, it's one of my earliest memories, uh, when, when the, there were terrible gales in February and the, the sea wall broke. And about 50 people died uh, at freezing water come crashing down on the caravans. And, mm. Yeah. Cavi Islands were a strange place. Yeah, I've I've been I've been there actually. And I, I like the estuary as well. I like because it reminds me where I grew up as well. It's it's marshy, it's yeah. it's a bleakness, isn't it? There's not many yeah, trees exactly. and, it's, and it's windswept, yeah. isn't it? The closest landscape I always thought, and this is interesting tying to you again is i went to iceland about 20 years ago ah! yeah and, it, and it's so fantastically bleak isn't it and that and wind swept I've never, and I've trees. Never been there. i mean i, I um it, it means a lot, quite a lot to me i i mean i i studied uh iceland i know at, uh, yeah, university, yeah and um you know i've read the sagas and things and uh i've just <laughs> i've never i've never been there you know Oh, you, but, you should go. Norman, the bass player, he, I think he was over there with the Blockheads recently, and he's going, like, he's been to Iceland. <laughs> and ironically, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but couldn't you, after all this is over, couldn't you sort yourself a gig there I, just to go? I think I should. I think I should. Yeah. There's it's, all it's, these kind of places where you think you've got to go, you know. But, yeah, I should what, go. Once you leave Reykjavik and go into the uh, into the into the country, it is like the sagas. It's like it's just massive valleys with a tiny little white church mm. miles away in the distance, and steam coming out of the ground and yeah. black tar lakes. Like, uh, the thing is, there's it's like uh, the, the 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 scenes uh, 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 where you know battles and things or fights take place in the sagas and that they're still there. You can see this. You can see this valley or this river. You know, you think, oh, that man, that's where that happened, you know. Whoa. Yeah. There's definitely a film there to be made. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Will Coe's uh, Guide to Iceland and, 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 the, uh, and the Sagas in yeah. real life, in real time. Yeah. But it, it's, but it does have that melancholic bleakness. Yeah. Which, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and which, which, which I've always been, and I think the Northwest, it's, I don't know if it's different here, and there's different mentality, but it's, and there is a melancholy in the Northwest, which uh, I don't, I mean, you've been here a few times, obviously, with touring and things. So, does it feel like a different part of the country to you when you come up here, or, or do you find I, I, parallels? Yeah. I think all, I think all the, uh, you know, the parts of the country have their own uh, flavor, you know. So, I mean, like, I, you know, we got that big kind of metropolitan vibe in, in uh, Manchester. There's things like places like Newcastle. I, I was uh, at university there, and I, I, I love that place. <laughs> Every time I go there, I just want to stroll about and, you know, memories and that. But, yeah. 
So and that's a sort of different vibe, you know. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's always interesting those towns near London, you know, they they London's so massive and as a world city, it's it's quite daunting. It's something to deal with, it, isn't it? It's huge. Mm. It really is. <laughs> Some years ago, I was uh, I, I did this a tour of uh, New Zealand, and I, I went over and I was playing. We, we were doing like a road show with with uh, New Zealand musicians, and uh, there for four or five weeks, I think. And one time we were in um, Wellington, the capital, right? and we, we we were just driving. Drive, I don't know. I think we were driving out or something, and. Uh, uh, this lady said, uh, I've really loved it in the city. <laughs> I started laughing. I said, sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but it's like a, Wellington is like a little town. I started telling them how, how big London was. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. physical, I'm going, man, it's 20, 25 miles across. And they're like, <laughs> they couldn't believe it. And, and <laughs> big old London. Yeah, and it's, it's, I guess I was like that thing you told me about the first time you went up to London to check out the other bands. And, and I like that. Idea. See, I've always been fussed out by this idea that probably a lot of the best culture and music in this country comes out of small towns. And it, it does hold true of London in, in a sense. So when you came out with Dr. Feelgood originally, most people thought you were actually a London band in the 70s, but it's a small town band. And the same with the Rolling Stones. People always talk about them being from London. But they're from Dartford, which is an e equally yeah. bleak, yeah. melancholic uh, Thames <laughs> Estuary town in it yeah. on yeah. the edge of London. And it's, um, you know, a lot of the punk bands came from outside London, you know, and this yeah, I mean, think, Guildford uh, and yeah. we, we, we sort of felt when, when we first, uh, Dr. Feelgood first started playing in those gigs in, in London. I think, as I was saying, I mean, Canvey Island is, a, is, is it's really cut off, you know, it's just a little weird place. And, Canvey Island and South End, and we had just uh, learned to play, if you like. We'd been about two or three years we've been going and just playing around South End and, and Canvey. And absolutely, all of us are absolutely unknown in London. So a, lot, a lot of those bands that were playing there then were made up of uh, actually already established musicians. It, you know, they were quite uh, of a various uh, combinations. And we just come in. Out of nowhere, and our music was like that little bit out of because we were we still <laughs> back in the in the in the sixties with the Rolling yeah, Stones, yeah. really, as if the, as if the last uh, seven or eight years hadn't occurred, you know. I don't yeah, know like what. like, like uh, those... bands playing all sorts of stuff, you know, jazz, rock, and uh, a bit of R and B, a bit of country, you know, and. Uh, I don't know, we're just coming with our thing and it just really made an impact because we were, we, we were just going mental there, you know, with, and waving our um, machine guns about. <laughs> there were, yeah, because pre-internet it was like that, wasn't it? Because you would be in a small town and you'd be so cut off, you have no idea what all the cool people in the cities were doing. <laughs> exactly. It's a bit like those uh, Japanese soldiers on those islands that didn't know the war was over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, yeah, it gives you a purity, doesn't it? Because because you actually become completely brilliant at your own weird little thing that, and, you, and nothing's tainted it. I don't. You know, I mean, I don't. You know, like uh, 
I just like, I don't feel like, I can do this thing, you know, it's pretty simple. <laughs> Three chords and an angry look. <laughs> <laughs> but the trick with three chords is, is to make it different, isn't it? You know, it's, oh, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it's I, quite I a skill. The whole, yeah, the, yeah, the whole thing is to, is to remain within the feeling of whatever style of music you're playing. But, but to, yeah, but to, uh, I don't know. He says, oh, no, I don't know, actually. You know, I can't. I can't. We have attempted to go to the fourth chord. <laughs> oh, well, man, I had to. When, when I was playing with him during the blockheads. Oh, my God. I mean, they <laughs> got all these chords, man, all the diminished chords, and, you know, like, a lot of songs are quite complex. And, uh, I mean, when, when we first went on the road, I, I would, you know, the, I, I, a certain song would come up, and I'd be, I didn't know, I didn't know the chord sequences, <laughs> and, and so I would just slide my, turn my guitar off, turn the volume right down, and mine, and the, the chord sequences. It's a big band, it's a tight, you know. So, so I just yeah. concentrated on the on the eyeballs rather than the, the <laughs> <laughs> right, you know, and and, and then turn and then turn the guitar back on when the difficult bit had gone by. <laughs> I remember um, the, probably the greatest contribution to all that is on top of the pops. Is it? I want to be straight. Um, when you turn to the camera and just go, Wilco, <laughs> which everybody completely loved for years, and that was like a little catchphrase that people had. Yeah. It's just those tiny little moments that make rock and roll really brilliant. You know, just it doesn't have to be a fancy guitar solo or a diminished chord. It could just be someone looking at a camera. In a really exactly. psychotic way, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like I say, this uh, going back to my memories, this, this fellow in the Cops and Robbers, you know, and, got, and I'm thinking, well, I can play better than that. But then he suddenly, <laughs> he suddenly put on this look, and you think, wow, that you know, it just, <laughs> sounds so much better if you look angry. <laughs> I've always been with, with you, I'm always quite intrigued because you, you did the hippie trail in India and you're on the way back and you're going to be like an English teacher, weren't you? Which yeah. is like almost, so, so really at heart, you're, you're kind of, like, you're a bit of a hippie really, aren't you? Well, I was at that time, if you like, you know. Mm. Um, I mean, the music I was in, I, it's, I, my musical tastes and things, I suppose they stem from the Rolling Stones, and, and you know, which led me back to the Chicago musicians and things, you know, but... Uh, there was quite. There was a lot of good music around then, and I was kind of into just into the whole drift. Like, I when I when I went to university, I left my guitar at home, and I did, I just didn't play anymore. And uh, I would do. I, I I wasn't quite so snobbish. I'd be quite snobbish about listening to proper R and B and and uh, chess <laughs> records and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, actually, when I I, I could uh, you know get into uh, country jam the fish. <laughs> and uh yeah and, and i mean go drifting out to Kathmandu, and that was just oh, it was something you did then i mean i'm just so glad i did it it was mm. <laughs> it was a lot of fun in afghanistan and uh wow the place you just couldn't go to now wasn't it well, exa well exactly uh, exactly uh, i mean it um oh god i mean afghanistan's been tragic yeah, I mean, when I was traveling through Afghanistan, 
it was still, it was before the Russians. It was like they still had a king, right? You see the king's picture up there. And they were so, I don't know, they were just so groovy. I mean, you realise they were like fierce people, but they, they were just, I, it was really good, you know. Mm. But I doubt That's always, it, I that's doubt always thinking it, yeah. Would be, would be welcome there now. I think proper, proper hard people don't, don't throw it about, do they? So fierce people look after you, don't they? Well, so did you get to India? Did you go across? Did you just do Kathmandu or did you go into India? When I went overland through Europe, Turkey and Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, down into India, I was down there for a while and we went down to Goa, which is not the kind oh, of yeah. rail centre that it became. Right? It was still kind yeah. of, there was no electricity and just fishermen's huts and things on the bench, just some hippies. I've been to go a, a few times. It's still got some of those hippies are still there. Like they're they're no, they got yeah. long grey hair and like sandals and little pair of shorts. Can, never they never went home. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I mean uh, so anyway, that, that was groovy and then Katmandu. Well. What was that like? Was that just full of like other hippies from all over Europe? It was. It was actually that they had only just started giving visas to Europeans, and and uh, so many only people who used to go there were like mountain climbers or diplomats. And uh, anyway, you could get, you could you could, so you could go to Kathmandu, go to Nepal, get a visa. And uh, I suppose that any there were like there would be about. 40 or 50 hippies in town. You know. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, is that how few? I thought it just completely like, hundreds of people just drifting there. <laughs> no, no. There was, there was a sort of small community. Free. There used to be this restaurant there where, of an evening. I mean, you could spend your day sort of going around the temples and uh, grooving. <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the evening, in the evening, go to this... Uh, Restaurant, it was just all full of freaks, right? And uh, they had a record player and they're playing uh, Bob Dylan and, and the stuff. Like that. And you could sit in there and get stoned in there and eat banana fritters. So you'd sort of, I don't know, as I say, there seemed to be about a few dozen yeah. hippies. Uh, it, but um, I don't know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of got a, a, a place in my memory, my frame of the universe. But actually, when I, when I got cancer and uh, I was uh, only expecting to die after, but I had about six months. And uh, so I, I, I decided to just spend, I had money in the bank and I spent, you know, I started groove around and I could have gone... But I never thought of going back there, you know. In fact, what, what I did was I, I went to Japan about mm. three times, I think. Japan's, I've been there a few times. That's an incredible place, isn't it? It is good. I just mm. I just really love it there. Right, right yeah, from the, the, the intensity of, of the culture. Like, you can go to a bar 
that plays only music from England from 1980 and nothing else. It's just every yes, little yes, that's weird. Really, those, like, those whiskey bars and that much. <laughs> <laughs> every kind of concoction of whiskey or, yeah, like you say, things like that. I mean, when we first went, which would have been in the 80s, late 80s, and it was right in the middle of the economic bubble. And it was booming and it was just fantastic. I mean, being Tokyo and all that neon and the and the shops are all bursting with stuff, you know, like gadgets and electronics and Walkmans and, and uh, uh, wow. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's like the future, it's a step into the future, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I love all that. And then also, of course, you can go to the, these beautiful places like Kyoto and that, and 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 find all that. Oh, it's beautiful. Well, you like the, the spiritual side of it. Yeah, well, I mean, just the here's a you know, it's a, that's a beautiful city, mm. and uh, I don't know, just. It just feels good walking walking around. I mean, like, I remember uh, one time I was there on, on tour, and uh, I used to, for some reason or other, used to often be up all night. And uh, <laughs> it, it was sort of one morning. I thought, oh, it's morning, going. I think I, I think I will uh, go out. I think I wanted to go shopping or something, and I, I was oh, yeah, a bit uh, confused. And, and um, I, I, I realised that the shops weren't open yet. In fact, the shops open at 10 o'clock in the morning, right? So anyway, I'm, I'm walking around. And then I, I, I saw this uh, small crowd gathering outside the, uh, this huge department store, right? And there was still the, the, the crowd around the door. And so I went up and joined. They were obviously waiting to get in. And... and uh, I went up and joined them, and I looked inside the store, and there's this huge sales floor with, like, I just think, like, hundreds of desks of, of uh, counters, you know, and behind them, uh, by them, are standing all these uh, uh, sales girls, right, all, all dressed in uh, their uniforms, white gloves, you know, and they're, they're all kind of standing uh, by, their, by their counters. And the manager came up and, and opened the store, and threw it up and suddenly all the, I mean, the, I don't know, a couple of hundred, right? they, they all bowed <laughs> together. <laughs> I'm thinking, what's around? They can't spend some money. <laughs> yeah, I, so I sometimes I used to get up in early and just, just to go along and watch this. <laughs> the, the gigs are like that, aren't they? I've been to gigs in, um, in Japan and they're, they're quite formal, aren't they? Everybody stands up at the same time and sits down at the same time. That everyone leaves at eight o'clock and goes home. I don't know. We've always found them rather wild. Yeah, so maybe I didn't play there, but I went to see some Japanese bands play, like quite oh, big bands. I was, maybe I that's that, a different that, thing. No, our gigs have, you know, like been there about more than thirty times. Wow, that's, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've, I've only been twice. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and yeah, 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 yeah. I think. I mean, we're we're now obviously playing to the to the to the children of the first audiences. We play. <laughs> well, at least they get they're coming. Yeah, I mean, they, they do. They have this thing when they're like uh, 
young and they go out to gigs and this, that and the other. And, and uh, they, I don't know, they get to 22, 23, and they become a salary man. And, and uh, you, you know, suddenly they get, they get very straight. Oh, so they, they pass the baton on to the next generation. Well, yeah. yeah. I, I remember things like, yeah, they do. And there's, there's sort of some, some of these, uh, yeah. So, so some of those young ones that we first played to in the 80s, probably get their kids coming. It's like, it's like going to gigs in England, though. You get like three generations now going to punk gigs, don't you? Well, <laughs> well yeah. get, it is the grandparents. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's strange, isn't it? But, yeah, well, that's, that's why it's pretty. It's pretty good. Every year the bands get bigger again now because it's a different. It's like added generations going to their gigs, isn't it? <laughs> so they're all back in the Apollos in Manchester when they, they couldn't get near the Apollo ten years ago. Yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of like cross generational, which is weird, isn't it? Like the, uh, you know, growing up, music just seemed to be off that time, and now it's it just keeps going and going, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I suppose it will last me out. Yeah, well, it's that, that's interesting, isn't it? It's, you know, like your records, well, actually, you know, when you made them, they would seem so temporary. Well, yeah. like, but, but in 50 no, years' I mean, time... I, I mean, when, um, when we first started playing in, in London and we were attracting all this attention and people were writing in the newspapers and that, and I remember one time thinking... Oh well, you know this is fantastic. Something's gonna this this is gonna be, I don't know, great for about four or five years. And, and yeah. uh, you know, do this thing and maybe earn some money, and then I can go and study Mandarin at university or something like that. <laughs> you know, yeah. I thought four or five years. And somebody told me that I would reach this advanced state. Well, I'm not doing it. I'm stuck in a room at the minute. <laughs> yeah, but sorry. Next year. <laughs> yeah. no, no, but how about yourself? What What have you been doing during this peculiar time? Well, it's quite weird. I got I got really busy, which is because I haven't had to spend all day organising band things. So I had a lot of time to do all the stuff. So one thing we got together is this big education project. I had this idea of uh, it's people going about the lost generations. So I thought, why don't we have teaches people to do green eco jobs and create the jobs and it's actually yeah. taken off and there's like um we're getting finance for it now and loads of backers and it's it's actually it's actually working which is really odd so it's, yeah. it's stuff getting done outside music and i've been writing books as well so i wrote a book with this guy called dale vince who's like the leading green energy provider in britain He's, he owns loads of windmills and stuff you know wind yeah. you know wind gen power generators so and his life story is interesting. Again, he actually comes from a seaside town. He's from a uh, Great Yarmouth, so yeah, he's, he's somewhere in between the two of us in it. And it's so I, I totally got his story because you talk about you know end of the line, the isolation, and and he lives in Stroud now. He's never lived in cities. He's always operated outside the cities, and he's and he's he's done he's 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 got loads of really interesting ideas. I've done him, and then uh, and then just write my autobiography. Just started that as well. So. And then wrote a novel in between as well, which has not been published yet. Oh, man, yet. You're, you're so prolific. Oh, well, I just get bored I'm really easily. I'm, I'm shrinking <laughs> away here. You know, when, when this, um, when this uh, lockdown started, of course, I've, I've been in what they call shielding. So um, Yeah, yeah. So I've, what it amounts to, actually, is I have been in this room all year. 
you know. I'm, well, I'm, well, I've been in this room, but it's smaller than that room. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, uh, just been out for some medical reasons, you know, and uh, it's. Uh, why am I talking about that? I'm feeling sorry for myself. <laughs> well, I, I, why did I? I just you had to go to your imagination to get a bigger world, so it's it's yeah. quite oh, easy, right? Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> I, I went when before I stepped in and locked the door. I went out and bought a, bought a little laptop, right? Mm -hmm. So I thought, here it, here it comes. You know, I'm gonna be stuck in this room, right? Here, here comes the novel. <laughs> I'm afraid the. Um, Hard drivers hardly been troubled. By <laughs> it's hard well, that's probably because you're trying to write the first line first, and the, the only way to write anything start in the middle and work backwards. Is that right? Well, if you if you sit there trying to get the brilliant first line, you'll it'll never come. You've got to limber up. It's like a guitar. You're not going to write your greatest song just when you pick it up. You got you have to you have to get you have to limber up a little bit, and then it just comes without even thinking yeah. about it. <laughs> so everybody always worries over the first paragraph or the first line, and that's not the way to do it. Who right? Yes. Yeah. Just start writing, and what? And the first, you know, the first five minutes will be a bit rubbish, and then you'll start getting the flow. And yeah. when you get the flow, it'd be like yeah. Wilco on stage zigzagging around, but on a screen instead. <laughs> I, re I reckon you you could, you could probably write a completely brilliant novel. Uh, okay, I, I, I must admit, I was daunted by the task. And, uh... Oh, dear. I, I, I'm listening, I, I, I'm listening I'd to your advice. Well, I'd like to read a novel about you, because what I find fascinating about you, Wilco, is I think you're, uh, you're, you're, you're quite a complex, uh, very intellectual, very interesting character who's managed to sort of compress it all into these three-chorus songs, <laughs> with, with brilliantly simplistic lyrics, and, min and, I, and I love minimalism. I think something fantastic about minimal songs. But on the other hand, there's also the rest of the iceberg under the water. You know, this guy who went to India on the hippie trail. This guy who's who could speak old Icelandic. That's that's not normal rock and roller, is it? I mean, a normal rock and roll. You know, a rock and roll geezer just plays guitar and that's it. But um, there's there's a lot of the other aspects there which could come to play in the novel you know and, and the thing about a novel is you don't have to worry about a story or anything it's your story you just write it to entertain yourself don't you Bit like music isn't it you just it's, it is basically entertaining yourself isn't it and if other people join in thank god for that <laughs> what's well, so you writing a novel well I, well I started writing the autobiography then i just went off on a tangent and i, I wrote uh, quite a surreal novel about the power of senses so i got really into that you know, sights, sound, touch, etc. Uh, but it's quite, it's slightly psychedelic as well, because I guess all the time that you were taking uh, speed, we would do magic mushrooms. So we. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, uh, Doctor Feelgood actually did sound pretty good on magic mushrooms. It was like an oddly. Uh, most things do, though, don't they? <laughs> no, so, so, some things don't. I tell you, what doesn't work is a uh, trap mass replica, which which is one of my favourite records. It's an amazing oh, record. Yeah. You, with mushrooms, it's a nightmare. It's like having your brain tied up in knots because it's so complicated. I, 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 they're a little bit ridiculous for uh, actually practically. I, I remember uh, at one time I was uh, getting together out in the country with my band. You know, we were rehearsing and uh, we, <laughs> we, took, we we took some mushrooms. And uh, I mean, I've still got a tape of it somewhere. 
We're trying to play back in the night, and uh, it just goes one, two, three, four, and, you go, and, and everyone collapses laughing. You can have the drum roll over and all that, and then you're going, now look, look, do it, do it seriously. <laughs> I <learned. laughs> Yeah, they're, 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 you can't do anything while you're on, you just have to lie there, don't you, and just soak a finesse in, don't you? Yeah, yes. <laughs> it's, ama- it's, it's amazing how much they affect you even like I mean, I'm not doing them for about for years and years but they, you, they do open up your senses well for some people they completely fuck some people up don't they but for other people it is a door opener isn't it yeah, well yeah I mean the thing was in the in the 60s I was uh, quite an acid head actually and that you man you just like there was some powerful LSD then you know, this yeah. stuff. And, uh, and it was not like what in the kind of rave times and that, and they were got acid and all that. And, and I'll try that, that stuff is, is not, not, it's not that it ain't so strong. It's different. Mm. That, that good old LSD. Yeah. I had, <laughs> I had some, in San Francisco, I had proper uh, LSD and it was a completely different experience. It's, uh, yeah. You know, this guy Ooh. actually made he made it in his house. He was actually like some guy who's actually synthesizing himself. Yeah. He was, and I had to fly home the next day. And I was I remember being on the plane, still coming down as the plane yeah. was going up. <laughs> oh, I had, I had some. Uh, I mean, so I, actually, I've got to say, you know, some of them were absolutely far and away the most intense experiences of my life. I mean, going from going from uh, sublime to terrifying. Yeah, oh yeah, God, yeah. It, it is. It's just a full, intense, oh, man. <laughs> intense experience. <laughs> so, did you? Were you? Did you have a psychedelic phase? Then, did you like psychedelic music, or did you? Yeah, oh, you like, well, yeah. You I mean, you- this was at the time when I was a student, and as I say, when I when I went out to university, I did, I hadn't taken my guitar with me. I I kind of left all that. Behind and and I started uh, listening to more music. So you'd be you'd be and you'd be listening to psychedelic stuff, you know. And, and uh, if you you're, you're taking acid trips and that, and so you yeah you're, you're listening to uh, Pink Floyd and and uh, things like because it's like because it all helped it along, you know. And, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and, was that was yeah. that Sid Barrett Pink Floyd? Well, uh, what was the one I used to like? I mean, those days you have about. I don't know, between the lot of you, you have about 10 albums or something. <laughs> yes. It's called Amagama. Oh, it's, right, yeah, the, the one after Sid. Set the controls for the heart of the sun. No, uh, I think it's the one after that, isn't it? Is it? Oh, well, I mean, I mean yeah. we had Amagama, and I can remember listening to that song, Set the Controls. So, and the, yeah, the <laughs> It's a great song, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Did you, yeah. Did you like this? Do you like the Stones or the psychedelic? Because I'm the only person who seems to like the uh, Satanic Majesties. Well, Everyone I know hates I'm, it. I'm, I'm with you. Um, I, you know, I got the I got the uh, Satanic Majesties uh, album. You know, with the hologram on the front. And all that, you know? Yeah. And uh, oh yeah, I, I thought it was great. Yeah, I think the songs on it are fantastic. 2,000 Light Years from Home. Yeah, I was just going to say that. 2,000 Light Years from Home. Wow. (laughs) 
So what, what about uh, Hawkwind? You used, to, you used to know Lemmy, didn't you? you used to share. Did you, yeah, Lemmy, yeah, we, took, Lemmy moved into your flat after you moved out, didn't he? So yes, yeah, I'm pre pretty good friends with him. He, he was, uh, he was, <laughs> he was quite a person. Uh, oh yeah, I met him a few times. He he actually yeah. spent three years in Blackpool as well. So he always felt like he was yeah. one of ours. He, yeah. he moved to Blackpool to be in a band called the Rocking Vickers. I don't know if you ever spoke about. Oh that yeah, the Rocking Vickers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we like no, the wildest band in Britain. Hanging out with him quite a bit then, because this was like um, after he got chucked out of Hawkwind, and uh, he was he was uh, gradually assembling uh, Motorhead, and uh, like they were kind of living in all sort of grotty squats and things, you know. And yeah, uh, yeah. I, it, that, it was at that moment I just got to feel that he just become successful, and uh, yeah, because when I first met him, he was. Uh, he was still with Hogwind. And when we first got signed uh, by United Artists, that they uh, give us some gigs supporting Hogwind. I don't know about uh, Manchester, Glasgow. I don't know. Anyway, we, we, we'd done these gigs. And that, that's where I met Lemmy. And they were kind of the big stars then. And we were the newcomers, you know. And, uh, and then he turned round. He, yeah. he got, <laughs> I remember he got on he got on board our coach and he came up to me and he went, You're pleased to see me, but you I know you don't know why. And I go, why? And he points to this copper pipe leading <laughs> into his pocket. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, I used to I used to I used to go around there to the various squats and then, then gradually he got uh, motored together. But yeah, we spent a few few nights talking and talking. <laughs> he was, he's, a, he's quite a deep character when he's, he's I think a lot of people again thought he was just purely rock and roll but there's definitely a wisdom about Lemmy oh, yeah that, that's that's what I found about him that he's, the, the, I think there was a lot there were a lot, a lot a lot of foolishness about him <laughs> you know I didn't like I didn't like these uh, swastikas and things you know yeah I think but, yeah you know, I, think, I mean I, I don't think politically he was in that world. He just, he actually just liked I, I, I think he was naive politically. And uh, mm. I remember once, we, I, I don't know, once we, well, we didn't have a row, but we had an exchange. And he said something about the, the revolution. I don't know, the time comes, he says, I know, I know who I'm with. And he put, his, <laughs> he put his hand up in a sort of Nazi salute. And I said, bloody hell, man. I said, if they, if they ever come to power, People like you will be first against the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so no, he, he was a. I didn't. Yes, he was. A, everybody liked him. Yeah, he was a, yeah. He was. Yeah, you could just relax with him, you know. Like, yeah. Very yeah, he's, he, I think in a weird way, he was. He was kind of like you. He's a bridge between two generations. You know, it's. You know, he'd been in the sixties thing. Um, and through the early 70s but when punk came along some people still seemed pretty cool and they seemed to fit with both worlds and oh yeah de de definitely you yeah. had that and de definitely Lemmy had that as well yeah woo Cause, cause yeah, he was yes he was definitely some although, although they, they seemed like worlds apart from the, the motorhead from from the general run of the what's punk I mean, they, they they were older. They could actually probably play a bit better. And uh, but they they felt like a punk band, you know. When when you were yeah, 15, yeah, yeah. 16, they yeah, yeah. yeah so, 
Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, he radiated all, all, all the stuff you want. He was like, Here's some. <laughs> I don't give a monkey's, you know. <laughs> with, his, with his microphone up high and his head flying, <laughs> yeah, yeah. his hair streaming in the, in the, in the fans, you know, and, and uh, wow. <laughs> and Dr. Fielder, you had that as well. It's a shame. It is a shame that you fell apart just at the beginning of punk because you would have actually sort of been these kind of elder statesmen in a sense of, of all that world, wouldn't you? 78, 79, 80. Well, I mean, yes, that's yeah. true. I mean, you know, yes, it was a terrible thing that the that the band broke up. And, the, and in fact, uh, uh, after, after the bus stop, uh, I, I started... Um, Meeting and making friends with with all, all the you know uh, Joe Strummer come running up to me in the street <laughs> and I got to know them and then this flat I had a lot of them used to come around and sleeping and you know I used to go up in the morning trip over Billy Idol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, was that the flat that uh, JJ Bunnell lived in as well? That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you did some records of him, didn't you, as well? Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's all kind of crossed over, didn't it? But I guess you'd all been playing the same venues for years, hadn't you, before that? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, th the thing, was, like, the the whole punk thing, I can remember, like, Feel Goods is, 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 is we're really starting to happen, right? And this... Uh, Dave Higgs, right, who was in Eddie and the Hot Rods, in fact, he was the originator of Eddie and the Hot Rods, came round my place one time and he said, uh, yeah, we just done this gig with this, uh, where we were supported this band called the Sex Pistols. <laughs> I remember going, well, what a fantastic name. What a brilliant name. And, and then, um, I don't know, sometime after that, I was actually in New York and I got a copy of the Daily Mirror. And it was on the front, all about the the, uh, the pistols' uh, Grundy appearance, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I remember David's got a sex pistol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it about funny. yeah. It's only about four months after, actually. That was when they played with them some of the pistols yeah. Grundy yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. It, all like, it just seemed so funny that. Uh, Iggy had just told me about this band, and I thought about what well, this name. And then the next thing I know, you know, like wow, they're on the front of the page of the Daily Mirror causing outrage. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was an exciting moment. What it, it it made music feel really important because it was so. I mean, oh yeah, it was, it was, it was I, naughty I, but mainstream, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, it, it it was fantastic. It was like. Uh, just that, that whole kind of just people being aware of themselves as a generation and, and having the, having a you know, kind of music and and all of that, you know. I mean, a lot of the music was, of course, fairly unsophisticated, you know. Like, I mean, they, they were <laughs> terribly young. Yeah. Like teenagers, a lot of these people, you know. And, uh, so did you find you were like an elder statesman? People, some of these bands would come and ask you for advice, like like the David Lemmy, of all people. <laughs> uh, I can remember, I can also remember this place, right, and these bands would turn up, and, and uh, you'd hear them, 
they'd be slagging each other off, like whoever wasn't there, you know, <laughs> cursing cursing this band or that band. And it, it was quite very amusing because it reminded me, you know, I was down the youth club in, in the 60s, <laughs> yeah, yeah. sneering at the other bands, you know. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's competitive. I guess because it was teenagers, so it's got to be more yeah, competitive, yeah, you know, isn't it? But, but it was all like, I don't know, just something, something was happening. Something was happening. Mm -hmm. So are you looking forward to getting out the other side of this? I mean, what are you, what are you going to do when the pandemic's over? Are you, are you going to go well, crazy and go on tour, or are you just going to get... Are you going to be able to get out of your room? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... Um, we have the, we, we have booked some gigs in, apparently. I'm never really aware of what we... You know, but I think we, we, we've got some gig... Maybe a festival in August... And also gigs in Sweden and I don't know Scandinavia. So, but the thing is, this is like this is happening when, when this started. Uh, we were due to go out uh, to do some gigs in February. I mean February last year, and. Uh, this thing happens, so they go, oh, the, the, right, you, the, we put the, put the gigs off until April or, or May or until spring, right? The time goes on this thing, and you think, um, I, don't know, I don't know if these gigs are going to happen. They say, no, we're, we're putting it back till the, the summer. And, and then at that point, I just thought, like, I'm not going to, I'm just not going to mm. count on anything. You know, so I, th I think it would be pretty good for me to get out and, and, and do, do something, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think there will be a way out. It'd be bumpy, but we'll, at, least we, at least there's a way out. I mean, six months ago, it seemed like there's no way out. Well, I'm Wilco Johnson, and... Uh, I've been speaking to John Robb. Um, interesting. I'd like to thank our uh, producer, Jim Drury, and uh, see you soon. <laughs>